buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today, I've got an awesome guest for you. As always, I'm going to be talking with David Primer. He's the founder and chief sales scientist over at Cerebral Selling. And we're going to dig into his experience and his own sales transformation and pull as many learning lessons out of there as possible for all of you sellers tuning in today. David, welcome to Sales Transformation. Oh, thanks, Colin. Thanks for having me. Like you say, chief sales scientist. Like you've never heard yeah. that title before. I don't know. It's uh... it's a it's a little it tongue tied me a little bit, um, but I think honestly that's what caught my attention. I think if I remember correctly, it's been a little while, um, but I think I saw a video or something that you maybe put on LinkedIn that was pretty unique and different than a lot of the stuff that pops up in my feed. And I saw that title and I said, we definitely need the chief sales scientist on the sales transformation show. <laughs> Very good. Well, it's good to know that something I made up, you know, in the middle of the night, one night when I needed to update my profile uh, is so interesting to so many people. So that's great. <laughs> definitely caught my attention. Uh, you know, it's harder and harder to stand out these days. So you definitely did that in my feed. So here we are. I'm excited to uh, have you on all the way from Toronto, joining us and uh, giving us a little bit of your your experience and your story. And I think that there's going to be a ton that we can learn there and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, looking forward. So let's just jump right in. Uh, start from the beginning. Like, did you, you know, was sales your fallback plan? Did you plan to get into sales? How the heck did you get into sales and why are you still in, in sales? For sure. Well, the funny thing is, like, no one ever really plans to get into sales. Like, I don't know if it's a yeah. fallback position or, you know, we just don't <laughs> yeah. learn it in school and it's not something your guidance counselor probably tells you, hey, you know what? And in, in the, I say that in the best and, and worst possible way. Sales is such yeah. an accessible <clears throat> profession and yet there's no like governing body. It's not like medicine or accounting or anything like that. Right. And so everyone has a story about how they got into sales and I am no different. Uh, I started my sales career over, well, I'd say my career over 20 years ago. I was actually a research scientist before I, before I accidentally transitioned into sales as a solutions a consultant or solution engineer, for those of you out there uh, who know, uh, ended up joining a startup uh, at the turn of the dot-com booms, so like around 99, 2000, when, you know, just getting into tech was cool and uh, yeah. gone into sales by accident. Uh, never looked back. That That first company was an awesome company. We ended up um, uh, growing the company to a hundred million dollar business and 700 people. We IPO'd, like we had the whole experience, yeah. got acquired and, uh, just, just caught the sales bug after that. Uh, yeah. Sounds like you were hooked after that experience. Yeah. Well, so my background was actually kind of science and engineering. When I say research scientist, I wasn't involved in any kind of like psychology or anything like that. 
but it was science and engineering. And, you know, I kind of applied that to some extent to selling, right? Because when you think about, you know, even when it comes to, you know, the, the, the systems of, let's say, how we interact with clients, what we say, what we do, the slides we show, mm-hmm. the narrative, how we structure our emails, like, in a way, it's art, and I agree it's art, but there's a lot of science. There's a certain amount of repeatability um, to it. There's certain systems that if we break down and understand, we can get better at this thing. So that's the thing I loved about it. Mm. I, I think there. I don't think there's as many people as I'd like to think that that view sales or look at the science and view it more as an art. Would you agree or disagree with that? I, I agree 100%. In fact, like the first chapter of my book, so I'm you know, I, I don't want to age myself. I'm exactly 46 years old, for maybe 46 and a, and a quarter. So when I was uh, nine in 1984, the movie The Karate Kid came. Uh, do you know that you remember The Karate Kid? I do, yes. Okay, so people know now there's like the Cobra Kai show and everything. So, yeah. you know, the way I kind of think about sales is very much like the Cobra Kai. And in the first chapter of my book, I call it the Cobra Kai paradox. And this idea that the way we learn how to do sales is from our sensei. Right, whoever mm. our manager was. It's a lot of like, here's what I did, here's what you should do. And yeah. what happens is because there's not a lot of rigor or scientific principles that get applied to like that kind of just passing down from our sensei, we just tend to kind of do what we're told and we learn that way. And so when we grow up to be our kind of fully formed sales self, we end up being in that, if you think back to like the Cobra Kai movie, or the Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid movie, you have these kids who learn karate from like a jerk right? <laughs> who turned out to then be jerks and bullies, but they're not bad kids. Like there's no kids that are bad. They just learn bad things. Yeah. And so the same thing in sales, right? Like because we just get information and tactics passed down to us from our sensei, some of us grow up to be Cobra Kai and some of us, you know, grow up to be the Miyagi Dojo, right? So uh, yeah, it's, it's not something that's regulated and that's kind of how we end up in the situation we are in now, right now. I, I know exactly what you're talking about from firsthand experience. Um, you know, when I got my first sales job at the age of 22, uh, I learned a lot of the bad habits in sales that everybody hates and they got me so far. And then I had to unlearn all of those things. Absolutely. Well, the the interesting thing about sales tactics in general is that they're not all categorically effective or ineffective, right? It's not like I can tell you, you know, Colin, do this thing and it's going to work 100% of the time. Like that's not the right. way sales works. So even those old school tactics that you kind of feel gross doing maybe and that customers hate work some percentage of the time with some percentage of customers, right? So the, the idea with sales tactics is to be able to have this toolbox of, you know, utilities that you kind of pull out that, that number one, give you a higher percentage chance of, chance of success. But number two, and this is really important, especially now, because sales sales is so different than it was 10, 20 years ago because buying is so different. But the mm. average age of a seller is also decreasing, right? So people know that if you're out there, you're a hiring manager, you know that like the average age of an, a salesperson, you're getting less experience for the money nowadays. And I, by the way, I love young, enthusiastic salespeople, right? And the problem, the problem is, is that oftentimes you get young, enthusiastic salespeople get into the profession and the things that we ask them to do make them feel a little gross. Mm. Right? They're like, oh, Give me an I example. Don't. Like even just simple things like, you know, I need you to make 50 calls a day. Right. And they're thinking to themselves, I don't, I don't even think I've made 50 calls like this year to people. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't use the I can phone. Send fi- I can send 50 text messages. <laughs> That's right. I can put an Instagram story together like no one's business. 
But getting on the phone with someone, and I, like I'm saying, it's not not. How does this thing work? Yeah. <laughs> so like, and I mean, by the way, you know, we all have this experience of getting called by telemarketers and getting blasted and getting interrupted all the time. Yeah. So I don't want to do that to people. That's not that's not what I want to do, right? Mm. And so I have this like emotional conflict. So that's just a very innocent example. But then there's other more contentious examples, like you know, when I say, "Hey, Colin, when you get the customer on the phone at the end of the month." Ask them if there's any reason why they don't think they can move forward this month, right? Like, and now I'm like, oh, now I feel like I'm putting pressure on this customer, and I don't really like yeah. the feeling of that. And or so I'm so- just scared. I don't want to know the answer to that question. That's right. <laughs> I love to live in ignorant bliss and just forecast this thing, and can't we just right. all call it a day? So yeah, there's lots yeah. of things that you know, just that people have this internal emotional conflict about about selling. Even still, you know, I know we're talking to a lot of kind of bona fide sellers out there, but I work with a lot of customer success, account management teams. Actually, I, I wrote an article called How to Hel- uh, How to Sell If You Hate Selling because I work with so many of these teams who say, look, I love to help people, you know, and I feel good when I do it, but I, I got into account management or customer success mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have to sell. I didn't want to take the quota. And now my company's saying, oh, you know, Colin, we need you to like go upsell this customer. I'm like, I feel like not so good about that. Right. Mm. So like, I want to help, but I hate this thought of selling. How can I do it in a way that aligns ethically and morally with the way I feel? And and what are some tips? What can people do if they're, you know, in that place, in that mindset? I mean, look, there's lots of things. I think classically people think about sales as just helping. Like I'm there to help someone. And it's funny, like going back, you know, thinking over the years and, uh, you know, I was mentioning earlier, like I used to work at Salesforce. So Salesforce acquired my third startup. I was there for five awesome years. I love the Salesforce. I love the team there. But it was kind of really interesting to see, you know, at the end of the month, end of the quarter, like these high pressure, you know, kind of like selling periods. And there's there's all sorts of products and services that we can sell our customers. We were talking about it, you know, it, it was funny. When I had been a Salesforce customer a few times before, and then they acquired my company, and I'm on the executive team of this company they acquired, and I attend their first, um, they used to call it Cloudforce, which was like Dreamforce, but just in specific yeah. cities. And I remember going to the first Cloudforce in San Francisco, which was 17,000 people in 2012. Like we should all have these kind of, you know, conferences for us. And I remember sitting there and watching all the demos and all of kind of the slick presentations and thinking to myself, we do this stuff? Like I didn't know we did like marketing and customer success and like all these other you know products and services. And so, you know, when, when we think about um, customer success or sales, there's all sorts of products we can sell our customers. And if we think about just helping them, right? Not, I'm yeah. not selling you, if I think about it as an upsell opportunity, then I kind of start to get like emotionally compromised. But I think about, hey, look, sometimes the answer at the end of the day is for you to buy more stuff from us to be more successful than then helping is the name of the game. But also, I mean, there's lots of things that we can do to kind of get in that right mindset. One of the tactics I actually talk about in my channel, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll get all the coordinates. I give tons of stuff away for free, so you don't have to buy anything or register for anything to get this stuff. One of the things I talk about is this concept of leading with what you believe or leading with feelings. So rather than leading with the product, Talk mm. about, you know, for example, hey, you know what, Colin? I think we were talking about this before. Like at, at Cerebral Selling, if you say like, well, what do I do? I'd say, you know what, Colin, I love sales. Like sales is the best profession in the world. But I realize people love to buy stuff and they hate talking to salespeople. And I believe if you want to be successful in the future of sales, like you need to use tactics that are rooted with in science and empathy that don't make you feel gross, that are super effective because they're rooted in the way that people actually buy. And in all of that little narrative that I just, you know, end scene, right? 
I didn't tell you what I did. I didn't tell you I trained salespeople. I didn't tell you I wrote a book. I but just, I'm ready to buy something. You're ready to buy something. You're le- <laughs> well, you're leaning in. You're saying, this sounds really interesting. Like, tell me more. What is this? Right? And that's yeah. that's the objective. And so, again, how to sell if you hate selling, that's that's one of the ways you can do it. Yeah, yeah. How, how often, I mean, it's kind of an interesting concept because people who sell who hate selling, it's kind of like, well, why are you in sales? <laughs> right? Uh and maybe they're just kind of ignorant and don't really know what they're signing up for or like, hey, this is looked like the best place to work or is the only job that I could find or what I planned on doing didn't work out and here I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes those people end up being the best sellers because they genuinely do want to just help people. They're not quick to jump into some of those you know sleazy sales tactics that most people um, sort of characterize salespeople by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're genuinely curious people. It's true. Well, you know, it's funny. Like one of the, even if you have all those ingredients, like generally, I love it. Like you're generally curious. You love to help. You have high conviction around the things that you're passionate about. Like if I asked you, Colin, like what's something that you're passionate about or what's something you spend your hard earned money on that another person would look at and say, that's ridiculous. Right. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. what would that be for you, Colin? Ah. <sighs> I don't, I'm not a big spender, man. <laughs> okay. I mean, most of my money goes to trips with the family or, um, no, look, that's I got, good. I got three kids. I got three kids and one on the way. So we're, we're socking away for college now. Oh man. <laughs> you know? no, no, look, that's just, look, I, I have three kids. I, th- I don't think I have one on the way. So fingers crossed, but no, like I, you know, I totally hear you. I invest in experiences with my family, right? Like, cause yeah. that's at the end of the day. And I think for most of us, what we've missed during the pandemic is just that those experiences with the family, like yeah. it's been a lot of work and that kind of stuff. And so I'm willing to invest in, in those experiences. Now, someone else might say, well, okay, so I want to go to this particular place on this kind of vacation with my family. And you might look at that call and you might, and you might say, you know what? Like, I love spending time with my family, but I don't need to do the thing that David's doing. Like I, I would rather just go on a road trip and do this other thing. So again, you know, it's, it's all about kind of, you know, you spend money on the things that you're passionate about that are discretionary that you find value in. Right. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this idea that, you know, if we can find that emotional alignment, with our customer by manifesting those passionate feelings, we can sell without ever having to feel gross. Like if I want an awesome vacation or not, and you had an awesome family experience, I said, you know, Colin, I got kids, you got kids, where should I go? And you're like, oh, David, you want to have the best family experience. Here's what you need to do. Go to this place. And you would manifest this naturally normal conviction and it wouldn't Mm -hmm. feel like you're trying to sell me anything. But the problem is, and you know, especially in B2B technology, okay? And I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna pull a Ricky, Ricky Bobby here and say with all due respect, okay? With all due respect, most of us, especially in B2B tech, we do like normal things, okay? Like you sell CRM, you sell like middleware, you sell security software, you like, we're not curing cancer or we're not feeding starving children in third world countries. Maybe some of us are, but most of us are doing regular, th- I train salespeople, okay? We do regular yeah. things. So then the question is, okay, well, how do we then manifest this passion and conviction around something that is like regular, right? And the way to not do it is through like functions and features and what's new in version 3.0. No one gives a shit about what's new in version 3.0, okay? No. But they do care about like your mission. They do care about your values. They do care about why you do, I'm pulling back the Simon Sinek start with why, they do care about why you do what you do. They care why you're passionate about it and what you believe, 
right? So leading with that kind of stuff can help you sell, right? Even if the idea of being salesy isn't something you're completely comfortable with. And, and what they care about more than anything is the experience with you. And if your experience is making them feel horrible, it doesn't matter if you do have the best product, they're not going to buy it. I'll tell you something. So I run a little sales leadership meetup and uh, one of the conversations that we were having in the sales leadership group was about, I won't name the technology group nor the players, but it was a piece <laughs> of sales technology in which there are only like a few main players in the space. And so one of the rep, one of the, the VPs of sales was saying to the other one or to the group, what do you use for this kind of technology? And the, and the, and the sales leader says, oh, we use this. Mm -hmm. And it says, well, anyone else uses, do you get, what about the competitor? Do you, has anyone ever talked to the competitor before? And one of the VPs pipes up and says, oh my gosh, we had the worst experience with that vendor. And this is one of the market leading vendors. Like we had the worst experience with that vendor. Mm -hmm. And it even went so far as to name the rep. And, and one of the other VPs piped up and said, oh, you had that rep too. Oh my gosh, they are the worst, right? And all of these things, and this was like bouncing around the sales leadership group, all of these things transcend what the product actually does, right? I actually yeah. talk about in my book, the experience is the product as a dad, you probably know, like you're out there in California, you, you go to Disneyland every now and then, maybe, yeah, I don't yeah, know, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Disney is one of these companies that fully understands that the experience is the product. It's not the, it's not the ride, it's not the, the food that you get, it's the whole experience. And so in sales, it's exactly the same thing. If you are kind, empathetic, helpful, that's part of the experience. And that experience will transcend the features and functions of your product and make a customer want to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. So how can, what can some reps do to sort of level up the experience and the interactions with their customers, with their prospects in pre-sale, post-sale, all of it? Yeah. Well, look, part of it is just to be, it's funny, you know, I, I talk about this in the book, uh, an experienced personal trainer once told me, you think about what do you need to be to be a, a really good personal trainer? And you think about someone who's at the first glance, who's like really good at exercising and knows all the exercises and can put together a plan for you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But this personal trainer, he said like, no, like 90% of success in personal training is showing up on time, being organized, like being considerate, following up, like the regular things, right? Having it's, a plan. Having yeah. a plan. Yeah. You know, yeah. being, I've being available. Showing up to a trainer and they're like, okay, here's what we're going to do today. And I've experienced you show up to the trainer and you're like, what do you feel like doing? I don't know. That's what I'm paying you for. <laughs> That's right. Well, exactly. Right. And so this idea is in sales, it's the same thing. Like be, being, you know, uh, punctual, being organized, taking good notes, showing the customer that you're listening, acting their best interest, talking like a normal human being, not using crazy buzzwords that make you sound quote unquote salesy, taking yeah. the pressure off them so they don't feel like they need to buy something from you. Because what happens is when that pressure builds up, then all of a sudden they recoil and they go into like, you know, defense mode. And that's when they ghost you, right? Like yeah. you actually want to be in a position where even if the customer doesn't want to buy from you, they feel okay. Like telling you, Hey, look, you know, Colin, you've been great, but I, you know, I don't want to buy from you right now, but my gosh, you know, this has been a great sales experience. So part of the, what you can do to create that great sales experience is just the basics, right? Just be human. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you didn't say be more human. Because a lot of people are talking about being more human. How the heck do you be more human? Um, but yeah, this, a lot of these simple things matter. And just to kind of add to some of those things that you mentioned, David, um, you know, is even just challenge their thinking a little bit, you know, and make them think about something they hadn't considered. Or maybe even this, maybe tell them you're not the best option if you're not. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? um, because 
because just back to that story of, of, of that sales leader meetup, right? Because that particular rep gave a bad experience to people in that group, there's a good chance the rest of those people in that group who could be potential buyers now probably won't be, right? So, you know, the impression that you leave, the experience that you give people, whether you work with them, whether you don't, whether you work together and stop working together, it really matters. Absolutely. And uh, Colin, I love what you said about um, making strong recommendations. Sometimes people refer to this as kind of the challenger mentality, but also like being prescriptive because, you know, to your point about the the, uh, the personal trainer, like, I don't know what exercises are supposed to do. I don't know what the form is supposed to look like. Like that, that's why I'm looking to you. The problem is, especially in sales, customers come to us looking for insight, but they don't want to give us the power by saying, Colin, tell me what I should do. Right. Because yeah. then they're inviting like either to be sold. And so one of the things I talk about, again, in my book, but I, get, I have a ton of blogs on my blog about this for free, is I talk about this idea of like, how can we be prescriptive and lead the customer through the process, help them evaluate our product, help them determine whether it's even, you know, right for them. Even the micro steps, like what should a next step be, a good next step after our initial right. discovery, what should that be, Colin? Because the more prescriptive we can be and lead the customer through the process, the better it's gonna be. I, I'll, I'll tell you this very, very quick story. I was at an offsite back at Salesforce. We went to this restaurant and it was kind of this nicest restaurant at a golf club where they only had maybe eight things on the menu. We go around the table and everyone like orders the thing that they want off the menu. And then it comes to me and I, I don't like to just order. I always like to take the recommendation because I don't want to be the guy that orders the thing that, you know, no one, you know, no one else has ever ordered in the history of the restaurant. So I asked yeah. the server, I say, you know, so what, what I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that. Like, what do you recommend? The tenderloin, this on tenderloin on the menu. This looks pretty good. Is it good? And he he puts down his pad, and he looks at me with this very serious, you know, look. And he's like, "Oh, sir, it's the best thing on the menu." And then he goes into detail about what it is, what it is. I'm like, "All right, I'm having that." And six out of the eight people at the at the table change their orders to that. So then I have this little epiphany. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this, the power of a prescription and conviction, I go back to Salesforce and yeah. I start running a report and I say, show me the reps this year that have generated the most pipeline, just the reps and, and order it in terms of the most pipeline. And as I'm looking down the list from the top reps to the bottom, I'm not even caring about tenure or anything. I'm just like, who are these reps? These are the reps. As I look at the top of the list, these are the reps that had the most conviction. They were willing to make strong recommendations. They were willing to be prescriptive. They were willing, they had full respect for their own time. And they were willing to tell the customer, if this is not a good fit for you, just tell me no, right? And those reps had the most pipeline. And some of them certainly were tenured reps who had been there for a while, but some mm -hmm. of them were new as well. It's a personality trait to be able to, to act with that kind of conviction and be prescriptive, super powerful. Wow, yeah. And uh, I, I love that example that you gave there, how everybody changed their order. <laughs> Because it's always interesting when you ask for a recommendation and and uh, and you know that they just you know you say hey I'm thinking about getting this or that and they just go with the one that they know is more expensive. <laughs> well, well, I mean, but look, even if it is more expensive, they could wrap it up in an amazing story. They can say, hey, look, this is good. Like you and you can tell it's funny. Like human beings are perceptive. Yeah. When I say like so, Colin, like let's say it was uh, you know like oh Colin, how was your weekend? And you're like oh you know it was good. Like. 
I can kind of tell you're lying right. a little bit. Like there's something like, how was your quarter end? You're like, oh, this, you know, was good. You know, like I can tell yeah. there's something there. So when I ask you like for your recommendation, like what's, what do you think about this product? And you kind of give me like, like, you know, what do you want to order off the menu? Like it has the pasta. Oh, you know, pasta's good. Like, okay, yeah. I can tell it's not your favorite. Yeah. Like yeah. what's your favorite, right? And yeah. then when you yeah. actually manifest that conviction, there's a authenticity to it that people can tell. People can tell if you're being authentic. People can tell if you're lying. People people can tell if you're if you're being prescriptive. People can tell if you believe in what you're selling or not. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's a that's a great place to wrap this up, David. Thanks so much for coming on today. Tons of nuggets in this episode. So if you're listening, you might want to give it a second listen. Uh, David, where can people find you, connect with you, get into your world, get some more of all these free things you've mentioned you give away, um, which I'm sure people here would be keen to get their hands on. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, uh, you can check out my website, which is Cerebral Selling. So all one word, CerebralSelling.com. You'll see the blog. You'll see links to all my stuff there. So on the blog, I give everything away, tons of articles. I have a YouTube channel by the same name, Instagram channel by the same name, so tons of videos. Uh, my book is called Sell the Way You Buy, and you can find it on Amazon, Audible, or wherever you buy books. Fantastic. We will include the link in there in the show notes for everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really helps. And as always, we're listening for your feedback. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.